Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, Dr. Z, welcome to the Z-Dog MD Show. Today's guest is Dr. Iran Ben-David. He is a colleague of mine from Stanford. Iran, uh, introduce yourself, man. What do you, well, what's your deal? Well, th- thank you for having me. Um, Z-Dog or, or Zubin, how do you? You know what? How about fellow bald fellow, guy? Fellow bald um, uh, They're guy, not gonna be able sounds... to tell us apart. No, no, we're, we're totally, <laughs> it, it, it's, I'm the one with the glasses. But, yeah, that's true, uh, um, that's true. And, um, and so um, uh, thank you for, for having me. I'm, um, uh, just to sort of introduce myself, I'm uh, a, a professor at Stanford, um, and my background, I'm in the medical school, my, my clinical background is I, I trained in infectious diseases, um, and, then, uh, and then did my research training in health policy, uh, and I've been uh, sort of in this border between infectious diseases and health policy, especially with applications to the developing world, um, and have been uh, doing a lot of research that looks at what are the effects of our policies on population health. Right, and what's interesting about your background is that's what drew you into COVID when this thing started happening and you are one of the co-authors of the now legendary Santa Clara seroprevalence study as well as the LA seroprevalence study and a colleague of Jay Bhattacharya who was on the show the other day. So it's great to have you on as yet another voice and perspective to talk about. How did you get into, so, it, it, it's crazy because you were living this very nice academic life and attending on the wards every so often and doing your research, particularly in the developing world, which as you mentioned, so whether it's HIV, tuberculosis, malaria, figuring out how our policies affect the developing world has been a passion of yours, right? How did that translate into COVID? So so that's exactly right. And so, you know, m- m- one of the perspectives that I've been sort of uh, working with and, and trying to promote for a long time is the fact that our policies, whether we, you know, think they're a great idea or not, um, they have impacts on, uh, on population health. And so I've worked on uh, things that Look at uh, what what kind of um, you know when we talk about funding foreign aid for for HIV, mm. uh, what kind of impact that has when we have these policies that try to promote abstinence or um, or condoms, what kind of impact that has on on actual health behaviors? Um, and you know I've been I've been sort of uh, on both the parts that look at. Um, things that you would think are very politis- political and things that are not. And so I've looked at things like the Mexico City policy, which is a, uh, a, 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 an abortion uh, p- policy. It's a, it's a U.S. policy that, that prevents uh, funding for, uh, for any 
reproductive health or family planning organization that promotes abortion. Now, when you stop funding for these kinds of things, you also stop funding for other family planning services. Um, and so we've looked at the impacts of that in, in developing countries that rely on U.S. funding for. So I've been, I've been, on, uh, I've been on sort of the, this uh, interface between policies and health impacts for a long time. And, and it's important to talk about that because you can have outcomes research, which is what you're doing. You're, you can have scientific data, but ultimately that's filtered through the values of a culture or a population and then applied via the political process to actual policy. And that's where things now under COVID have gotten so crazy because it's all become this stew of, of conflict. Exactly. So, so now I'll say that that you know this this the current climate, the current scientific climate for conflict is terrible. You know, I've been I've been in some situations in some areas of inquiry that that are um, you know can be considered a little controversial. That's nothing like uh, mm -hmm. what we're seeing today, and that's you know that's a real loss because we're missing out on some serious perspectives that get drowned out in some uh, you know in in a in a serious amount of uh, sort of discontent and strife. And um, it's almost like we we forgot that what we're trying to fight is a virus and instead we've sort of turned into fighting each other. Um, and, and that's really unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you've been part of this group now, the Stanford Cabal. And, you know, it was crazy because I when I saw your original study come out the that had estimated what's the actual prevalence of this virus in early, what was it, March, April? Was, yeah, exactly, late March. And the late March is when we attribute our, you know, because we, we, we did the study in early April, uh, but because antibodies take a few days to develop. So we measured antibodies to, to the virus that causes COVID, to SARS-CoV-2. And um, because, the, because the, the, we measured it in early April, it's really a reflection, and uh, in, in the antibodies take a few days, it's really a reflection of, of what Santa Clara County was like in late March. Got it. So there's that delay of getting the antibodies to be produced. And and so what you were saying then, I remember seeing this is like, it could be anywhere and you gave a range of between what, 40 and 80 times more prevalent than we thought? That's right. Now, yeah. now I should say, you know, it, it sounds like a, a, a big difference, um, but in many ways, this is was, this was a, it was a very straightforward scientific uh, question. And you know, we answered it with you know, it was just a singular measurement that we had done, and um, our our answer was so. Let me just tell you. So when while we were doing our survey, mm -hmm. you know, we had about a um, hundred or one hundred fifty staff uh, that helped us uh, run the the survey in Santa Clara County. Mm -hmm. We asked them, um, uh, what what do you think is the the prevalence of of antibodies to COVID in in our county? And the answers ranged from zero percent to 75%. Mm. And there was this huge range. And I think part of what we were hoping to do when we did the study was reduce that uncertainty. Um, mm. And really, uh, uh, you know, sort of help, because the, you know, that was the question of the hour. Nobody knew how widespread it was. All we saw was just cases, cases, cases. And we didn't really know how many people have really gotten infected. And so, you know, we, we said, okay, well, you know, we can, you know, we can really help this. And that, that, was, that was the original intent. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, we came down to, you know, somewhere between 1% and 3%. Of the population of was the population already infected. In Santa Clara County. So we reduced that range of zero to 75 to a, a much narrower range. You mm -hmm. can do a lot with that. Um, and, um, and, you know, the, the, 
the ratio that you mentioned of how many infections to how many cases, somewhere, you know, maybe as low as 20, maybe as high as 80, uh, but, the, but somewhere in that, in that range, right? That, that uh, it gives, you, uh, gives you a sense of, of how widespread the infection was. Now, at that time, why was that an important study to do? Remind us about that, because, no, yeah. That's right, so, you know, so, so, okay, so everybody wanted to know um, how how widespread the infection was because people wanted to know uh, um, you know can you know is is there a chance that we are approaching herd immunity or that something like that is happening? We'll talk about herd immunity, I hope, because yes. again, it's one of these things that sort of become it's like, such a flashpoint. Totally Ow! Right. I touched <laughs> the third rail of science. <laughs> something called herd immunity, which we've been talking about for decades. It's right. something you can't even talk and, and, about. So, right. so, so, we'll, we'll, you know, so people wanted to know that. Mm -hmm. People wanted to know, um, can you get tested with antibodies? Because you know, they, were, they were saying, well, you know, if, if a lot of us have antibodies, maybe we're immune, we can go back and, and, uh, and, and can we say something about that? No, that, we were not studying that, but people right. wanted to know know that mm -hmm. um, it was very important to know what the fatality rate of the of the infection uh, was and again that was un entirely unknown you know everything that was published at the time was from cases or from models um, and nobody really knew how widespread the infection was and again given the huge range of possibilities right that makes a huge range for the, the infection fatality rate and that makes sense. And you know, whether you, so because when Imperial College first put out its original model, they're using data inputs of assumptions without big ranges on them. And to narrow down what those actual inputs are changes the projections of deaths. Entirely. Now, you know, one, I, I can understand why some people wanted to use the models early on. We didn't have any better data. Right. Uh, but I think it's very important to know that, that these models are by and large, they're often wrong by orders of magnitude yeah. um, about their projections. And, and, um, and so once we have, once we know what these things, what are the critical pieces of information we need, and once we know, um, once, we, once we can have a better handle on the data, we should go back and revisit. Because the, the, the imperial models um, are, you know, we, we, there's no way that they were right. They projected, you know, so they, so they, they projected- Interrupt for a second. Yeah. The imperial models, the imperial College of London models were the ones that were the basis of our most aggressive that's responses. That's exactly right. right. They so, published their, their big model on March 16th and on March 19th, that's when California shut down. Everybody looked at this and said, we have to, we can't, you know, 2.2 million deaths projected yeah, for the United States. That's, right. that's, that's unacceptable and we that's have right. to shut down. And I should say in their model, they also said, if you shut down, you're gonna reduce that by a whole lot. I don't right, remember exactly right, how much. Right. And, um, and so that's you know, and so that's you know, those those models need to be uh, uh, revisited. Let me tell you just a few examples of where some of these the projections went completely off. Now it's hard to say. Well, you know, we didn't have two point two million deaths in the United States. People will say, well, that's because we had early intervention. Mm -hmm. Well, Sweden didn't have um, uh, uh, lockdowns, mm -hmm. and the models projected something around hundred thousand deaths for Sweden by August. Mm. How many have happened? About 5,000. Uh, okay, let, let's, let's re, let, I, I, wanna, I wanna dig into that a little bit and we'll get back to the Sarah Prevalence study because these are conversations that in sound bites on the media just don't come through. It's like, well, Sweden is folly or Sweden has the answer. Well, no, what's really going on? What's going on with, with the projections? Well, 100,000 deaths versus what actually happened, 5,000. Why, why the discrepancy in your mind? So there, there are two things that, um, you know, if, if, you look, if you look at the model for how, did we, how do they get to 2.2 million deaths for the United States? Right. It's, it's very simple. 
we have 300 million people in our country. They assumed, they estimated that about, that about 60% of the population will get infected. So it's about 200 million. And out of those, about 1% will die. Here you get to 2 million. That's, that's all it is. It's that simple. Simple math. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and, um, and it's the same for Sweden, the same for England, the same for all these countries. Now, we have not had any place where the infection looked like it penetrated 60% of the population, in part because um, the, you know, we might have things like uh, uh, T cells that protect us from infection, in part because there's, you know, people don't mix uh, evenly, you know, the, these models assume that you know that uh, um, I am at, at 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 equal risk as the spouse of somebody infected in Queens. Okay, right. so someone infected in Queens, I'm the same risk as their spouse. N that that does not happen. We are we you know we we are uh, our population is much more sort of lumpy. Yeah, and uh, and so transmission doesn't happen in in that kind of even way. What what about the data out of those slums in Mumbai that are saying 60, 70, that's, 80%? percent? That's exactly the sort of the, that's exactly the kind of place where you say like that that is exactly where people are crowded together yeah they're they're you know the the conditions are um are such that you know they will transmit one another they don't have uh access to ppe to face masks and other so pr pr protective equipment um you know it's exactly the kind of context where um you, you know you might see that right um, right right and and, and, and so so to, to this point there is no one answer for these models. The, these populations are very different. There is no one herd immunity number. There is no one IFR. There is it. It very much depends, right? And that's or am exactly I seeing that right. wrong? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And and so if you look at, at the seroprevalence studies, there have now been about a hundred mm. um, done in different places. Um, some places are you know under one percent. Some places are upwards of forty percent. And you know Mumbai is sort of the extreme high, upwards of fifty percent. Um, but you know, but that's that's there. There is a huge range. A lot of it is uh, you'd think. Well, you know, New York was hard hit. Your prevalence is high. Spain was was well. Spain is sort of an, an unusual example. Um, uh, but you know, but sort of the places that you know the Gangelt in in Germany, hard hit area high CR prevalence. And so, you know, so it, 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 you see that huge range. Now, why is it that some places got hard hit? Very high inoculum. I think you, you talked Talk about, about that, that at some point. Um, you know, very uh, uh, sort of relatively crowded, uh, uh, high density uh, population. Um, you know, there can be different sort of uh, uh, scenarios and, and ways of, of understanding that. But you see, you, you see that huge range. And I should say that also makes a difference for the fatality rate. The fatality rate is not a singular constant. Mm. Um, it is a reflection of the population, uh, how, how much um, uh, comorbidities you have in the population, the age structure, um, uh, the inoculum. Again, if you have a lot of people getting in very severely infected, and of course, the hospital capacity in the hospital system in the area. So, so a couple things here. One is you study this for a living. I do. And you understand that there's a lot of, um, uh, how do we say, nuance and difficulty being black and white with these numbers, because like you said, it's, it's not, it's a continuum. It depends on the location. There's multiple variables. It's kind of a Bayesian thing. Like, you have a little bit of stuff changing and that changes everything downstream, right? right? You update your priors. You had this knowledge base. Now we learn more. Now you change your models. 
Um, so that, that's one thing that I think is very important that has not been appreciated, I think, by the lay public as much who uh -huh. want a black and white answer. Yeah. And the second thing that you said was Spain is a little complicated. Tell me a little more about Spain because people are pointing to data now that look, deaths are starting to rise in Spain and they're, maybe they're getting a second wave. And, and so how are you thinking about that? You know, I, I, and I think you guys mentioned this in one of the, the previous shows is that there hasn't been a true second wave in mm -hmm. places that has already been severely affected. Mm -hmm. In the US, you know, you sort of see this like shifting distribution. First it was the Northeast and, and then the sort of the West came on and then the South and now the, the Midwest is, is, so, you know, all of these, you sort of, you see this like shifting of, of the, the initial uh, uh, sort of pattern of, of disease penetration. Mm. And, um, and the same actually is happening in, in the UK and a lot of the, the places in, in Europe where you now you see a rise in infection, it's the places that didn't have um, that didn't have a lot of cases and a lot of a lot of infections in the first time around. Right. Um, and it's, it's the same in Spain. So these countries that we hold up as paragons of virtue, uh, <laughs> that did such a wonderful job, right? Like the, 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 if you talk about say, you know, the, the, the Nordic countries, not Sweden because Sweden is a pariah, <laughs> but let's talk about the other Nordic countries, South Korea, Hong Kong, et cetera, uh, New Zealand, they haven't had a ton of cases. They squashed it early on. They, either they've had very aggressive shutdowns or they closed their borders and they're geographically isolated, whatever it is. In your mind, are they at bigger risk for this second? Oh, you know they are. I mean, you know, so this this virus does have the ability to spread through populations, and so you can you can try to keep it off your borders for a while. It's going to make it through. Um, you know, uh, you can try to sort of do a lot of very heavy contact tracing. That gets difficult and tiresome. Yeah. In a lot of places, it's sort of, those systems are fraying. Mm. Um, even the places that have that have managed to uh, keep a lot of the, the sort of contact tracing and a lot of the, the early uh, sort of quarantine uh, methods in place for, you know, it, it, it's it's difficult. You, you keep your population on, in and out of quarantine, in and out of uh, lockdowns. Um, and um, that's, you know, th that's what you have to do in order to prevent this from this virus from, from uh, sort of spreading through the population. Now, you know, is it, is it worth it? That's a little bit of a, of a societal decision, but it's, Values a hard, question. it's a very hard question. My, my, my en entire paradigm is that these are hard situations and hard questions, hard policy decisions. You're right. Let's not be black and white about these things. Let's look at, let's take a holistic view of the costs and benefits, including for a lot of places, the costs of really restricting population. Um, you know, you see what's happening in, in parts of Australia that, you know, that are very locked down and people are very, you know, they're miserable about this. Mm. Um, and that's, you know, that's not an easy choice. And I don't think that, you know, that, that that's something that we can just say, well, you know, that, you know, that it might prevent some, some COVID cases, but that's not the end of the story. Mm. And, you know, let's, let's, let's look at things in a broader lens. Mm. So, so what, okay, there's a lot, man. I, uh, we're probably gonna end up talking <laughs> for like three hours. What, what, what's the deal with Spain that you said they were so unique? Oh, so uh, Spain uh, had a, a, a relatively uh, low uh, prevalence mm. uh, and, um, and, 
despite that, they seem to have uh, a, a, you know very high number of of deaths. Mm. And so, in, you know, in that, in that, the, the, you know, they're the ones. If if anybody looks at the place where you, you might have had a high fatality rate, Spain is it. Yeah. In, uh, the distribution of uh, you know a lot of it was again elderly. Um, a lot of it was people with comorbidities, uh, smokers. So those things were were not unusual. But there's something about Spain where. Um, it, it looked like, you know, relative to the size of the population, it seemed to have gotten infected. They, they had a, a relatively high number of deaths. Ah, so could it be a, a mix of genetics, uh, pre-existing T-cell immunity exposures, the way they live, uh, smoking, pre-existing comorbidities, like we see in our, you know, Latino, Latina population I here. I refuse yes. to say Latinx, by the way. Okay. <laughs> I just, I won't say it because my, my Mexican friends don't know what it is, that, that, and, yeah. and I'm like, I'm not going to white explain. It, it doesn't, you know. it doesn't, it doesn't flow off your tongue, right? It's like it's really hard to I, say Latinx. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I thought it was Latinx, Latinx, and uh, because it just doesn't make sense when you read it. You're like, what is this? Yes. Um, but so sorry. So so you know, the Hispanic population here, I mean, maybe share some of the care. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think this, we do. and this, you know, that's a nice thing. We don't fully understand, and that's right. an okay place to be. You know, we're, right. we're we're gonna try to understand more. We're gonna dig into that more. We're gonna do more uh, uh, studies into the T cell uh, 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 immunity or T cell features of of the Spanish population. Th these things are gonna happen, and we're gonna learn more. Yeah. But at this point. You know why is it that Spain is is a little bit of an outlier? I don't know. Yeah, and and so I want to ask again about Sweden because Sweden has become a political football in the U.S. And Anders Tegnell, Tegnell. Yeah. yeah, there's 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 there are accounts on Twitter that are pro and con Anders, and and one of them is called Tegnell Stan, and a Stan, <laughs> right? A Stan is a reference to Eminem Stan, which we parodied, yes. in fact, recently. And uh, this is a big fanboy, big or, fan. and, and yeah. you know, oh, you know, he had a mea culpa, and he was wrong. No, wait, no, he's the comeback kid. What's going on with Sweden? How do we understand Sweden? And are there lessons anywhere for that? So, okay, so I'm 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 going to give you a preview of uh, of uh, of, a, of, a, of a study that we're doing now. Ooh. So so uh, um, so it's it's going to come it's going to come out. It's some points. Is, so, uh, wait, wait, I don't trust anything you do because <laughs> it's all just terrible science, right? Yes. No, no, no. So tell me, tell me about the study. And at some point, remind me, I wanna ask you about uh, some of the detailed criticism of your first study and how you respond to that because I didn't get into that much with Jay. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, let's yeah, do yeah. that more. So, to so your new study, I think I think we I think we should come back because I think the issue about the culture of science is very important. Yes, it is. We we need. Uh, to have more civility and more openness in, in science right now to mm. make progress. I mean, it, it is really critical because, you know, right now we are em embroiled again in sort of, you know, this, you know, bickering and, and animosity and and there's this uh, a process that, that you know, I, I learned about in this book called um, Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me. I don't know if you've ever uh, read I've this book. I've heard of that book, yeah. It's very good. It's called uh, Complementary Schismogenesis. And, and, and no, it sounds big, but it's really, it's, ve it's a very simple kind of concept that, you know, if you go left, I'm gonna go right. Yeah. And, then, and then because you went right, I'm gonna go left. And because I went left, you're gonna go right. And, and that's how the schism happens. That's the schismogenesis. I see, and the genesis of the schism. The genesis oh. of the schism. And um, and that a little bit feels like that's what's what's happening, where people are just reacting to the position of somebody else uh, instead of open up your your any any social media account and watch what happens. If if Trump says this, they say that. If Biden says this, they say that. It's it's it, it's predictable, you know. Well, it, and we'll talk about vaccines too. But 
Okay, I, that'll get that'll derail me, right. but I got to say, this is a passion of mine. Is this schismogenesis that you're talking about? Yes. Yeah. Uh, anyways, I, yeah. I mean, it's why I, I I like your show. I feel like you're 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 peddling in moderation. <gasps> that sounds so filthy. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's so important. I'm, I'm a middle peddler. You're, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so I'll, I'll tell you about Sweden. I'll tell you a little bit about what we've done. And so, um, you know, Sweden, um, you know, made a choice early on. Um, and the, the reasons for those choices, at least when you ask um, their, their public health officials, Tegnell mm. and whatnot, is they said, uh, we, we, we want to contain the, 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 um, the spread of the disease, but we want to make it in such a way that's going to be sustainable for our, for our population. Mm. Okay, so that, that was the reasoning. And what they did is um, they, they banned um, gatherings and they did some travel restrictions. 50 and, and above. Of, yeah, yeah, exactly mm-hmm. right, um, and and they made some you know some some uh, policies that were um, that were uh, mandatory, but the, uh, but a lot of it was about actually a lot of it was about communicating to their people. Here's the disease. Here's the risk. Here's who is uh, where it's spreading. Here are the people that that seem to be most heavily affected, and let people make the decisions um, about about what to do about that, mm. um, and. Um, and they they had they had a, a, a relative um, you know serious increase in in deaths um, mm-hmm. early on. Mm-hmm. A lot of it was you know maybe forty fifty percent was in nursing home residents, right? And it spread very widely in, in nursing homes. Um, and um, and they, it, it took it took them maybe two three weeks to really more um, uh, seriously curtail the the spread of, of COVID in the nursing homes. And by that uh, by that time that you know they, there was a lot of people who have died. More Mortality high, uh, yeah. yeah. Mortality mm-hmm. was quite high, um, and then um, and then and then the epidemic turned around, and uh, their cases started going down, and their uh, deaths started going down. For the past month, maybe even two months, their you know their case number is sort of stable at maybe between 100, 200, 300 or so a day, and their deaths are one, two, three, four, five um, a day from COVID, and that's it. Now, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, call this uh, herd immunity, but it, but to the extent that this is what a, po- a, a population where disease doesn't spread, that's how it behaves. Is you don't see a growing number of cases, you don't see anything exponential, you don't see a spread um, and worsening of of the spread of the disease, and that's that's what's happening in Sweden right now. <laughs> they never overwhelmed their healthcare system. They right? never overwhelmed their healthcare system. Their population was generally adherent and compliant to whatever was recommended. Yes. There, if you look at Google Maps data and Apple search data, they were mobile. In yep. other words, they, 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 they went through a period where they auto-regulated. They said, you know what, this is scary. The population behaved as it probably should in the face of an unknown threat. Right. But then it opened back up and you see it happen. And their deaths now are minuscule. Whereas countries, let's contrast this, with uh, what's going on in Israel. They're talking about locking down again. You're oh, Israeli. Yes. Yeah, tell me. I, as of today, I think they you know, they went back into national lockdown. Ah, uh, so I, the only country to have done that. that so far, so far. You know, UK is talking about uh, having some regional lockdowns mm-hmm. now back in the areas, again, in the places, not the places that had the severe uh, disease early on, but the mm. places that actually got spared early on and now are seeing a resurgence in cases. Mm. So, uh, so you know, they were spared early on. Yes. Let's say that again. They were spared early on, meaning it's not a case like in New York or or in parts of Spain where everybody's sick. It's a very bad, 
and then they get better. And then it comes back very bad and you have to let, we have not seen that happen. No, we have not seen that happen. Mm. Nope, not yet. Mm. Uh, and I'm hoping, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna predict the we future, don't but yeah. we don't know. We don't you know, know. The, yeah. the, the evidence on the lasting protectiveness of antibodies is still evolving. And um, So Israel. Israel, yeah. yeah. Well, so but let me just go back oh, yeah, to Sweden yeah, yeah. one more thing because here's here's what we here's what we're doing in our in our study. We're, we're you know here's what we're looking at. Uh, we're trying to look at the effect of these highly restrictive policies of of mandatory stay at home and um, and business closures. Okay. Mm. Now, Sweden didn't do it. South Korea also didn't do it. Now they had other measures again of of trying to control the virus. We're, we're looking at these two countries in particular because uh, because they they were the, the disease certainly um, spread in the population. Okay, mm. so you see the spread, um, and then you see a, a, a decline right in the spread, and um, and so in, and so what what you have there is you have some combination of. Uh, the, the 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 less restrictive policies and and people's behavior and the natural dynamics of the epidemic mm. all sort of entangled mm. and and so that's and so that's a nice sort of bundle that you can use to see what happens now do you see the the sort of the the change in the pattern of of epidemic do you see it different in Sweden compared to UK Germany um, Netherlands um, the US um, Spain Italy and the answer is, those are all countries that had severe, had much more restrictive lockdowns, had much more mandatory stay at home and and business closures, and um, and you see that there is there is no additional benefit that's left over from the mandatory stay at home and uh, and shelter in place uh, policies after you account for after you look for what the the patterns of of both the sort of the behavior change and the, and the epidemic dynamics and, and the less restrictive policies. Okay, let me see if I can restate this yes. and ask some questions, because this is such an important thing to discuss and it's gonna get all kinds of comments and criticism, and which is good. Yes, that's good. Which is it's, what you want. Yeah, exactly. So you're saying that, and, and this is not published yet, this is study you're doing, yes. Yes. Right? Yes. right? That if you if you actually look and what outcomes are you measuring? We're looking at we're looking at uh, the 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 the, um, the growth in cases in the country, right? Growth so in P PCR demonstrated cases. Cases exactly. Got it. And and we're looking at region by region within each country. So within the in the U.S. it's state by state. Yeah. In England it's county by county. In France it's a region by region. Um, and so. And what you're proposing is what you're seeing is that there is not an incremental benefit to having lockdowns on the number of increasing cases on exactly when you compare everything that's right so 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 we're, we're you know we can see that there is a, a, a slowdown in the growth yes okay, this is no this is sort of a complicated thing but this is what mike levitt has been saying for at a long stanford, time at yeah. stanford he's been saying for a long time he's saying you know you don't see a real exponential growth you see you see an exponential growth that sort of slows down mm. right and so and so you know at first it's like 30% and then it's 20% and it's 10% the growth of, of new cases day on day. And, um, and, you see, and you see this sort of slowdown everywhere. You see it in the places that had lockdowns and you see it in the places that didn't have lockdowns and you see it in the places that uh, uh, implemented things early and you see it in the places that implemented things late. And so, you know, it's, it's you, know, the, 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 um, you know, the idea that the lockdowns are, um, are responsible for these uh, slowing downs of, of cases is hard to make. That is remarkable if true. And, and, and I, I gotta say, you know, I'll put on my skeptical hat and go, well, we're probably cherry picking data. We're not measuring it right. Something else is going on and more will come out. But let's say it's true, all right? 
What that tells me is something that I deeply suspect, and I suspected from kind of early on. If you don't squash the thing at the very early, like we did with SARS-1. Exactly. And SARS-1 was easy to squash relatively because- It was only hospitals. And hospitals and the fact that you were febrile right. and symptomatic yes, exactly. when you were contagious. Now right. it's like, well, you're asymptomatic. I mean, you and me could be giving it to each other right now. We're not because we're awesome and bald. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Baldness protects people. It really, uh, yeah, actually, yes. was it the opposite? I no, read somewhere. Uh, yeah, I know, no, yeah. Well, right. you know, whatever. About, being male, tall, being bald. Tall, it's not, tall, not gonna, no, it's I'm gonna screwed happen. on all That's points. Right. But uh, the the the, the um, thing is, if you don't do that, which is a human intervention, a top-down intervention, okay, we're gonna squash this. Honey. Once it's out and you have a virus like this, there is little to nothing in a top-down measure that is gonna make a massive difference in the dynamics of the spread of this virus beyond the normal dynamics of the population's behavior. It's, I, I think that's right. I think you know, you know, people know it's coming. They're going to do whatever they need to do in order to uh, try to you know prevent themselves or their kids or whatnot. So there's going to be there's going to be some behavior change that's going to happen, anyways. Because mm. you know, just because you hear it's coming, mm. and uh, and then you have the natural dynamics of of the virus, um, and the combination of these two things. That's you know that that seems to have. Um, you know, sort of contributed to a very similar pattern in all contexts, except for the places that you said, as you said, caught it when it was like 100 cases or something right. and never let it uh, really enter the population. Never let the dynamics spin out of control yes. from the early part. Yes. And, and okay, so that's, and remember now, you study this for a living. That, yes, that you're is. Not, that you're is. not a CNN pundit, <laughs> you, you're, you're not. <laughs> You're not an armchair epidemiologist. This is what you do. I, I have I have all the, the you know, I, I love digging my hands into the data and stirring them and, and looking Nerd into stuff. that and trying to understand and, and learn from the patterns. That's exactly what I do. Here's, here's and here's, I would say that actually an important point about that. There, um, it's important to learn, to be able to learn and, and and take the data in in a personal kind of way. And that's not always easy because, uh, because you know, we're, what we're seeing um, is a lot of uh, very dramatic kinds of things about, you know, about number of, uh, you know, the, the, the cases growing here and, uh, and big headlines in newspapers and whatnot. Um, but we're not very good at, at looking at, you know, large patterns and saying, wow, that really, you know, matters. Um, there is a, a, um, a famous um, study that, that some psychologists have done that looks at, um, you know, whether uh, people care more about, um, you know, a single girl um, as, or a single hungry girl in a picture as opposed to, um, you know, a hundred, you know, a, a, news, pe a news piece about a hundred uh, uh, starving kids. And who would you give, you know, your money to? Um, and people will give more money to the single person than to the hundred uh, kids. You know, it's, it's, it's almost like you watch my show, but I don't <laughs> think you saw yesterday's episode. You and I are both fans of Jonathan Haidt. And and actually, I'm a fan of um, uh, Paul Bloom, who's another psychologist, mm -hmm. and he's written a book called Against Empathy, and it's for that exact reason that human beings empathize with singular stories. They don't, they cannot process mass suffering, statistical. They they can't empathize with a statistic. It ha that's why charities will always pitch you 
you are gonna sponsor Sharon in this country and get her a bag of rice and we'll send you letters from her because that makes you go, oh yes, and I can empathize with Sharon, she's a single, but I cannot empathize with Somalia or an, a concept, right? Right. And when it comes to COVID, this has been very harmful to our rational ability to I, I, function. I, I agree, and and when it's individuals, you can understand that we, you know, we're drawn to individual stories. But at the policy level, you want to be able to look at things in a more holistic and a, and a more data driven way. I would say it's a more compassionate way because compassion is more a cognitive empathy. Love in the face, love and concern in the face of suffering, trying to help the most people as you can. Now, what's interesting is you'll see this as a pattern in my audience. My audience are nurturers and caregivers and nurses and doctors. And what they'll say, well, let's uh, we'll leave the surgeons out of it. They're more psychopaths. But <laughs> but let's say we have a nurse. You'll see in the comments. But you guys are talking about you know population dynamics and you know this many lives and this many this. But I knew. I had a patient who died alone on a ventilator who was not, didn't have comorbidities. And this is, we've got to do something about this. And that's how it feels. Yes, and that's how it feels. And I fully, under, and you know, this disease has done terrible things to a lot of people and a lot of people got sick and a lot of people are suffering from it for, you know, for a while still. All of that is true. And there are a lot of consequences to our actions, and so it's it's not it's not a but, um, it's not a it's not a you know disregarding any of that. It's all of it, mm. and I think that's an important um, aspect that we you know we has not been part of the conversation much to date. I agree, and we're we're going to dig more into that because I think um, it is so wrapped up. Like for example, what you're talking about. I want to get back to Israel too because I want to see what's going yes. on there. But I, I actually. Answer me Israel and then we'll uh, okay. <laughs> and then we'll then we'll talk about what I think what you just said about the population dynamics and the fact that lockdowns may not have helped. How that will be politicized by both sides is worth discussing and why and how we can transcend that. So what what's going on with Israel do you think? And I know you won't know, but uh, you know, I, I don't know exactly, but you know, but it, it, this is again um you know, so 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 you know, Israel had actually you know pretty effective uh, response um, in terms of the reduction of number of cases, and and they went down to you know really pretty low levels. Um, they opened schools, um, and then they had uh, you know they actually had one of the schools that had um, an outbreak of you know 100 or 200 cases mm. uh, in the school. That that actually has been one of the early uh, cases and an example that people said, "Well, shut know, all the schools down. We we need to shut now all." Now these the schools are cases. Down. Cases. These are not deaths. No, not deaths. Not hospitalizations. Not, hospitalizations, not right. a single one hospitalized. Right. Not a single one in that Israeli example was hospitalized. Mm -hmm. um, and um, and then recently they've had uh, they've had a, a rise in the number of uh, of cases, why that has led to, uh, to you know, sort of a, a decision to shut the, the country down again, um, I, I think is, is you know, it, it beyond me. <laughs> when, when I saw it, I'm gonna be honest with you, we can speak freely. I was like, they're making a mistake. Yeah. I don't understand why they're reacting this way because this is the natural dynamics of a virus that was oversuppressed in the beginning and hasn't spread. You're gonna see a case-demic as cases rise, yeah. not necessarily more mortality to the degree that the cases are rising. Now, I, you know, I, I, I don't know about all the, the, again, like the detailed policies, but right. I'll, I'll tell you one thing that's, again, we'll, we'll, we'll get into the, the politics maybe. It's okay to get into a little bit of the politics Absolutely. over there. Is that for the past few weeks, there have been these big demonstrations against the prime minister. I see, um, Netanyahu. Netanyahu. Yeah. Um, he's been prime minister for my whole life. I know. He's been, 
<laughs> I mean, he's been he's been indicted. He's been right. anyways convicted of all sorts of things, and and still, is, I mean, it's it's sort of amazing. Um, uh, <laughs> Sounds familiar. <laughs> um, and uh, and I think there's a, there's been a desire to sort of make these demonstrations stop. Right, and it's possible that uh, uh, that there's a that that desire, that political desire to make those demonstrations stop, mm. is is involved in the decision to mm. make the lockdowns because there there are a lot of people who have been sort of advising the Israeli government, including Mike Levitt, um, who was there for a while. He was sort of stuck there in the beginning. Mm. Um, nice Jewish boy, and exactly yeah. that's right. And, uh, <laughs> um, and, uh, and advising the Israeli government and and saying you know this there's no need for that and mm. um, and yet at the same time so. But, but the stories of a person on a ventilator or frontline healthcare professionals dying because they don't have PPE and the heart moves and you go, we have to do something. So now our policy should be interventional. Let's do something here. Forgetting that we don't have, we have the empathy, we, we lack the compassion to look at the bigger impact. And what is that bigger impact? Well, so so okay, so let's let's talk about that. But I'll tell mm-hmm. you, you know, my you know, my, my my wife's a psychiatrist, and, and nice, and, and so I'm gonna bring her in every once in a so while. So much, oh yeah, please oh, do. Oh, she's she's great, and um, and she says, you know, one of the feelings that we fear the most, mm-hmm. um, and that people have the hardest time dealing with is the feeling of powerlessness, mm. and um, and so you know, it's that feeling of maybe we can do something about mm. that. Um, and you're right that you know it's a new virus, and and we don't. Don't quite know how to make those, uh, you know, people know how those deaths, you know, sort of go down to zero, and, and we don't know how to make those cases. And and again, like, and I think some of it is also is that those numbers are constantly in our face, right? Like every day, every news story is like number of cases, number of deaths, number of you know hospitalizations, and that's not that's not you know that. And so you can't you can't get away from the feeling of I got to do something about this. J- Judd Brewer, who's a psychiatrist who specializes in mindfulness, was on my show a couple times in the early days of this pandemic, and we were both just outraged at the amount of fear being generated. And he said that he called it a um, a social contagion. He goes, somebody you could be safe in your house, someone can sneeze on your brain from a thousand miles away and panic you. Yes. And, that, and that's what's happening. And you know what I noticed a pattern? The smart people I was ta- I were talking to, the people who do this stuff for a living were all like, man, this is, why are people going ape? This is not, we're, we're causing so much harm from the response. Right. And actually we were gonna do a parody of Nickelback's uh, photograph uh, where uh, the, the media is putting graphs in your face every day and just be like, look at this COVID graph. <laughs> Every time I do it makes me hack. What the hell am I doing here? But we never did it because we don't, we just. That's right. It was locked down. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But so, so your wife notices that and sees that that powerlessness is. Is is driving people to say, we, you know, we have to, you know, we have to do stuff that, you know, and even if that stuff doesn't really have an effect. I would take it a step further and say conspiracy theorists are trying to find control. So they're saying, you know what? I can't understand this. I need certainty. I need a way to explain this, something that's inexplicable. So something comes out of nowhere and uh, potentially puts the world in a degree of peril where a lot of people are gonna die. Well, that just doesn't happen. It must be Fauci created it in a lab because <laughs> there's no other explanation. Yeah. But there are other explanations. There are excellent other explanations. It's a failure That's of right. imagination. That's but right. unfortunately, the truth is probably really boring and not satisfying. And here's, and here's where I, I, my, 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 my hope is that the, the harms of the lockdowns are gonna become a, 
ever bigger part of the story and of the general discussion. Yeah. Because so far they've been completely left out of it. Now, now when I talk with Jay about this, there were a couple commenters that were like, that's a typical straw man where you set it up and say, we're not talking about the harms of the lockdown, but we are, and that's a straw man. Okay. How do you respond to that? So, okay, so let, let, so let, let, let me just say this. You know, um, I would say that is, it is similar to the way that uh, things like malaria in Africa is, is being um, addressed, where we, we know, you know, if you, if, you, if you people, if you looked at the reports from the WHO or whatnot, it's there. People are measuring it. But you don't get the same kind of thing. You know, the, the parallel people would say, well, you know, you should say that a, a, a 747 full of kids crashed every single day. That's what you get for COVID. That's not what you're getting for uh, for the, the, the harms of, of the lockdowns. And we very well may be having that. And so my hope is that those will be um, at least sort of on a level in the in the discussion. You know, be a great way. Great, oh, this is brilliant, actually. I never thought of that then, you know. Imagine your main street in your town, take 20 of them every day, that many businesses are going out of business that were mom and pop that lasted for a hundred years. And and it's so heartbreaking, but nobody, they, they talk about it occasionally, maybe more on Fox News, <laughs> you know? It's like, it's so polarized. Like the left, they can't even mention it because because it looks uncompassionate. Yes, that you're talking about money, but it, money is 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 livelihoods, you know. So 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 that's that's right. So let me let me talk about lockdowns a little bit. Okay, so so uh, uh, so if there are um, two findings in the social sciences that can fill a library each, it is that um, wealth is good for health. Yes, and education is good for health. And both are true. Both are true. Longer lifespans, but so, yeah, yeah. And I'm not talking about wealth like Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos. No, 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 I'm no, no, talking no. about the getting people out of extreme poverty of a right. dollar ninety a day right. uh, per person. I'm talking about the progress we have made in um, in you know sort of raising people out of extreme poverty. I'm talking about um, you know the fact that the fact that you know it is along the entire continuum of of wealth that that you know you're reducing child mortality. You're do, everything is everything improves when when you're improving people's wealth, okay? Um, you know, and, and that finding is like you can take the you can take the the you know the the most sort of sophisticated data hack that cannot break away this pattern. More wealth, you know, you live longer, you live better lives, you live you know, and you look at Rice Chetty, you know, the the you know the very well known economist. He's looked at every single American um, um, with their their income tax return and their life expectancy, and you know it just goes. Just a straight line up, you know, mm. and it's and it's a huge gap between mm. the wealthy and and the poor. Okay, mm. so um, and so and so, um, uh, you know, the fact that that we're taking our GDP and and really sledgehammering it, mm. taking down by five, ten, fifteen percent in different places, um, that's going to have a huge impact. And uh, and that's you know, so so just saying like this is an economy thing. No, it's going to have a huge impact on health, on all sorts of things. Education, similar thing. You know, this is not the kind of stuff where it's just like an association. People have done these randomized trials on Head Start, on people keeping pe- people uh, 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 keeping kids in uh, in in school uh, and bringing them into sort of bringing them into high school. And you look at things like their risk behaviors and their well being and their uh, for especially for adolescent girls, their HIV risk behaviors, their fertility choices, uh, uh, teen pregnancies and teen um, births. You know, like randomized trials, not to mention all sorts of things about later life 
um, uh, you know, sort of opportunities and 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 risk patterns and the kinds of and, and and violence and all sorts of things that that improves with education. And what have we done? We've closed schools. Now to say this is not that closing schools is not going to have an impact on health. It's going to have a huge impact. Um, and um, and so you know, is it a straw man? Of course, people have been mentioning this, but it has not been on a level as uh, on the discussion as as COVID. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the little journey you just took me on, I was getting upset, like emotional. Like we are screwing this up in a way that is so amazingly awful because we just can't see, we just don't, our human brains don't function at the 30,000 foot compassion level. They function at the, oh my God, I'm scared. I need a sense of control. We need to do something. Forgetting all the things you just said, which are all worsened by the fact that we politicized every single piece of this. And when you actually look at what <laughs> what's happening, if you say, okay, it's politicized on the right, it's a hoax, team denial. If you politicize it on the left, it's an apocalypse, team doom. The, the left in particular has, has completely forgotten that wealth equals health, and they will freak out about social justice while advocating the policy of lockdown and so on and closing schools that will worsen inequity for generations. Yeah, that's right. And to the extent that inequity is a huge, of hugely important for you know for for that entire for the you know for left for I mean for a lot of us we don't we don't want to live in this highly unequal. Society. I mean, it, it, it's it's the biggest it, danger it's, it's, we it's, have. It's terrible, right? And yeah. I mean, we, we you know it's not good for anyone. It's you know we don't like it. We you know no, nobody likes to have this sort of sense of constant sense of unfairness right. and inequity in this in this uh, uh, society. We don't want to live that. It's not the kind of, not the kind of people we want to be. And it's going to make things worse. And you know what's interesting? So both Monica and Jay, who are probably on opposite ends of the political spectrum, see completely eye to eye on this. They're yes. like, we're worsening inequity. You know, we're, what what we're doing is we're we're penalizing poor people, and the zoomocracy, the people yes. who can live virtually, who are having a ball during lockdowns because right. it's like this is great. <laughs> I hate people. I can work and make money not doing in-person stuff. And I can just order an uh, Uber Eats to come deliver me some food from an essential worker who's probably at high risk because they have diabetes and are sedentary. And and honestly, if we looked inwards at it, we'd go, this is a policy failure. And and, and the problem is, so if, if, <laughs> if you're, let's say you're right, which I actually think you are, uh, about this and that our lockdowns are more harmful than they're, they're helping. UNICEF, by the way, um, they estimated how many kids, 500 million kids do not have access to school. Uh, because of this? Because of this. 500 million? Yes. Half a billion children? Half a billion children do not have access to school this year um, because you know schools are closed so and they don't as have of access. Today, as of today, we stopped doing this. You and me just decide, <laughs> right? Just stop, just yeah. stop. Because what happens? You open the schools. Okay, people, this is a bad thing. We have a pandemic. It happens. Yeah, it's happened before. Our response is worse than the disease, in some levels. Yeah, yeah. not all levels. Yeah. Not all levels. Like maybe distancing is a good idea. Right. You know, masking. Monica good made idea. a pretty yeah, compelling no case. Totally. Yeah. 
So we could do that while still going on because because well, so, so here's the so people push back all the time on the school thing. Well, there's all these cases in school. Yeah, they're not dying. Yeah, they're not hospitalized. What if they go home to grandma and kill her? Well, how do you respond to that? I mean, you know, it's it, it, so so um, or or forty percent of of school employees are at risk for COVID due to comorbidities or age. You know, that is that is all right. And again, you know, I think some of that is is the decisions we have to make in a societal level. You know, so so strep throat has all sorts of consequences for kids. You know, it causes them not only just the, the illness, but, you know, afterwards they can get kidney problems and joint problems and Valve heart problems, problems and skin, right? All sorts of things. We don't close schools to stop the transmission of uh, strep throat, right? We make a choice that, that you know, this this is, you know, these this is what's happening on the one hand. These, these are... You know, these are our choices and our values as society is on, on the other side. Um, and, you know, and, and we sort of, we weigh one against the other. Now, this is, I w this is again, like where I would say science is a little bit paralyzed because of the, mm. the polarization, because we need to know what are the risks to, of, of transmission. We need to know what are the risks for teachers. We need to know what are the risks of, uh, you know, of, of kids going home and, and, uh, and having, you know, multiple generation kind of, of households and, and the exposures and the risks that would come from that. There is no hope for that right now in this environment, mm -hmm. because, you know, th these are, these are all kinds of scientific questions that we can, you know, we, we, we can, you know, tackle and understand and, and put that into the, again, like into the, the broad discussion. And, and, you know, this is what Vinay, uh, Vinay Prasad and I discussed on a previous show, which is that there are some things now that are so taboo, you can't even study them. And uh, Jay brought up Gabriela Gomez talking yeah. about herd immunity thresholds. No yeah. one will even review her papers. Yeah. Because did you say herd immunity? <laughs> like that, isn't that what like, like Trump's villainous Scott Atlas is telling him? Uh, to to do and uh, isn't that basically letting a disease rip through the community and kill everyone so that you can achieve immunity? I, I mean, this is again like you know. I mean, talk about again so sort of strawmans and, and, and <laughs> talk and, about strawmen, right? I mean, yeah. I, I mean, this is you know, this is you know, herd immunity is a very simple concept, right? right. It's, you know, it's like when you know when when transmission one person to to the next person is you know when when one person transmits it to to one or less other people right yeah. then you know then then you achieve uh then you achieve sort of the, the epidemic is going to extinguish you right. know then you know it's going to go down right because you, it's not going to grow in the population that's it yeah. you know that's that's the extent of it it's not it's not you know it's not a, a, a nothing political, magical it's not magical nothing political no it's, there's nothing political now, about now, that now you know i think People rightfully say that if you have a vaccine, it's a preferred way to get immunity in a community because you won't have to suffer the infection. I I, I agree, right? But you know, but you know, what's going to happen with the vaccine? I mean, again, like even the vaccine is becoming so politicized. Yo, tell now, me about right? this because this is a mess. It's a mess, and we we you know, I wish it we, it wouldn't be this way because you know, if we get a good, a safe, effective vaccine. I, I would want everybody to yeah. you know to to get it yeah and quickly. you know that's uh, quickly and you know I mean in this environment it's not it's not heading that way no and way I would say you know again like there you know everybody's politi everybody's politicized everybody's sort of yelling at one another I expect science to do better mm. and I expect the scientists to sort of rise above that and mm. rise above the rancor and mm. not you know not get sort of entangled in this uh, in this. Okay, so you expect these things, uh, Iran, Ben David, and our own institution, um, Stanford University Medical Center, has 
created a letter that was signed by multiple people under probably pressure from former Dean Pizzo uh, to speak out about Scott Atlas, who's former head of neuroradiology at Stanford, someone that uh, my wife is familiar with being a chest radiologist at Stanford, who works with the Trump administration now as in an advisory role and mm -hmm. has taken um, actually stances compatible with what you and Jay are saying in terms of what the data is showing, mm -hmm. but it's been spun through the political mill. And they felt compelled to write a letter saying, you know, what did it say exactly? So yes, yeah, so let, me, let me just sort yeah. of, you know, back yeah, yeah, out a little bit. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, Stanford has, for whatever, I mean, I'll, uh, for reasons I think that are sort of understandable, have has had several people that have taken somewhat, um, uh, non-mainstream positions uh, between Jay, uh, myself, John Unides, uh, Mike Levitt. Um, these are all, you know, and, and what I would say, I would say about all of them, maybe myself excluded. Is that <laughs> is they're, they're, awesome. very, they're, they're, they're very prominent, <laughs> right. very known smart. scientists, very smart. You know, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're serious people. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and Scott Atlas has, uh, has, you know, has been increasingly sort of involved. He's uh, moved from the medical school to the Hoover Institution and has been very outspoken on policy issues. And he's been, he's been in the health policy world for a long time. Right. Okay. Right. Um, and, um, and, but he's not an epidemiologist. He's not he's an epidemiologist. Not an infectious He's a neuroradiologist. That's He's been right. very mm -hmm. interested in, in the interaction of 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 the, of the, the disease in the society mm -hmm. um, and its impacts, and uh, and has spoken out about it quite a bit. And right. you're right, and, and you know, it, including stuff that has become very politicized. Right, and you know, even even if my opinions with uh, you know align with Scott more than you know, I mean, with many of the things he says, mm -hmm. I'm, I, I am weary of the politics of it all sure and you know and so I, you know i don't want to get involved in that because i feel like again I feel, you know there's there's its own sort of separate dynamics it's the schismogenesis schismogenesis uh, exactly exactly right someone had asked me to comment on scott's uh, comments uh from a youtube video before well before all this happened and i watched the video and i said oh so he's taking this tact it does seem a little policy heavy yeah. and he's got a definite bias here and i don't really I don't feel strongly because I think it's just going to generate division right now. I've been talking about the nuance in this, but yeah. So, so go on. So okay. So yeah. okay. So so there have been a, you know, a few people at Stanford. Now, why is why is it that this many people at Stanford? Well, Stanford, in some ways, its way of getting people through the door and promoting and rewarding people actually uh, actually encourages this kind of independent uh, ways of of doing things. And so you have these people that that are a little bit willing to not join a, uh, a group or a tribe. Um, right. And that's, you know, and, and more more so than in, in maybe in other institutions. Okay? Interesting, so, yeah. So, um, and maybe that's why I liked it so much. And, and, yeah. and that's right. And, yeah. and, um, and so in, in, in that, in that uh, sort of soup of, of you know, a, a growing number of, of people who are uh, expressing opinions that are not of the main, of the uh, sort of epidemiologic mainstream, um, you have uh, a, a group of people uh, signing a, a letter led by the former dean. Now, so the former dean, Heads of divisions, heads of departments, um, uh, all sort of signing and 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 sending, asking people in in their groups to also sign the letter. And the letter starts by saying, uh, "We uphold the, the the principle of first to no harm." So it, it's it's a nice thing, I would say. I don't know what to make of that because <laughs> because as we said, lockdowns also do harm, and so um, and so the, you know the, in this very intermingled world of ours, um, it is it's, it's virtually impossible to not do harm given that we are in the middle of a of a pandemic. The mm -hmm. pandemic is doing harm. The responses are doing harm. Let's think about them more holistically. Mm -hmm. um, and so the first first do no harm, the, and then the second thing is they say that they 
um, are uh, opposed to um, the, the 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 falsehoods and scientific misconstru- misconstruals or I think something along something along these lines, yeah. lines that Scott Atlas has been um, promoting. Yeah. Okay, so singling him out. You know, as as you know, they said former colleague of ours, former colleague yeah, of ours, right? Um, Not current colleague, yes, right? Former colleague, former right. colleague, mm-hmm. um, and so singling him out, putting him away, and 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 saying that what he uh, what he promotes are falsehoods, right? Um, and um, and then saying what we believe is this. So they're not making the link direct, but they're saying what we believe are these five things, and they're and and I don't know if I'm going to get all five of them, but right, it's like right. masks are effective. Um, you know, children get sick. Um, um, and you know, I for, uh, anyways, I forget. But yes, it, yes, you know, yes, 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 yes. And, and, and they were five, all yes. It's five things that yeah. are you know that that you know they say that is actually supported is supported by the preponderance of of evidence in, that's in right. the scientific literature. That's right. And that's, that's right. that. And yeah. um, and you know, as as oh, and I would say this and and and. Simultaneously, there's a uh, an, uh, an op-ed in the in the LA Times um, written by two of the folks. That's right. Um, and um, and you know, made for, national news. Made national news and continues to sort of spiral in in social media and yep. and um, you know, it, it's going to and creating more rancor within the university. Um, I, there is a, a petition uh, right away within the university to uh, to say that you know the use of uh, you know this the use of of um, this platform is something that is against uh, sort of university principles. Um, so you know, using having a, a, a former dean use the university listserv to send a letter out is against university uh, principles because it. it it suggests that this is a university uh, endorsed policy, um, and so and so all, all of that is you know is in my you know it's, it's a little my my point of just like it's it's that's not science. Science is not done by a petition. Science is not done by you know by sort of having you know, who's more, who is by fiat who's more influential. Science is done by people coming together, um, you know, sort of identifying questions, looking into them, trying to answer them right. And instead, this is just. Further sends people in, uh, in, in into the opposite camps. When, when I saw it and my wife sent it to me, I was just like beside myself. Like, why would my colleagues do this? This is not, all the things you said, it's not science. This is grandstanding. It's virtue signaling. It's, uh, it's trying to control a narrative that isn't fully fleshed out or decided. And it also was misrepresenting what, Ever Scott is actually telling the president, right? Because we don't know what that is. No, we don't know what that is. <laughs> exactly. And, and certainly, you know, things like you know, any, anything about you know, he's gotten under a lot of flack for promo- promoting herd immunity. That is, that is, uh, you know, I have, uh, I don't know everything he has ever said, right. but I certainly have not seen him. And I read the New York Times and the Wall- the Washington Post. They did, they did not quote anything that he has said that promotes herd immunity. Right. And so, you know, there, I have not seen, you know, that in the news. And so. Uh, you know, again, like it's almost like irrespective of what Scott believes, this is you know it's just it's just a polarizing move, um, and you know again like sort of puts. Here's the other thing that it sort of it it creates an atmosphere within science that is not conducive to an open debate and open discussion. Yeah. It, it, at the very least at Stanford, where they know that there are um, you know sort of a diversity of opinions about this. Right. Yeah, I'm tenured, Jay's tenured, John Unides is tenured, Mike Levitt is tenured, he's a Nobel Prize winner. 
what about a lot of the, the junior folks who might want to have, um, you know, sort of a, a say in this and might want to, you know, have their own opinions? This is, this is bad for, for our diversity of opinion that we need that is important for the progress of science. Oh, it's so heartbreaking. It, make, it really, it, it makes me so sad because the last bastion of discourse, of, our, of civil argument, in our society are our universities, and we have turned them into mono, just you must fall in line. And what you said about associate professors that aren't tenured is so important. People don't realize, and I've talked to some people, there's a sense that they felt pressured to sign on to this document, because if they don't, the chair of the department or whoever who sent it to them saying, I think you should sign this, what are their chances of getting tenure or advancement or promotion? If they do not. No. And this is the opposite of what we want in our, and you know, it's like Haidt and other, John Haidt has, has talked about this, that, that universities have become progressively more singular politically, and it, you're a pariah if you deviate from this. That is the opposite. And so what happens? The students are then trying to cancel speakers they disagree with instead of having them come and debating them. So without speech as our ability to argue, what are we left with? Uh, no, I, I mean, I fully agree. I, I mean, here's where, you know, I, I, I'll again sort of go back to some, some philosophers, but, you know, it, it's attributed to Hegel, this whole notion of, of the dialectic yeah. of, you know, thesis, antithesis, synthesis. That's, that, you know, <laughs> we, we put one thing, we put another, we come together in, you know, in some kind of, in some kind of a way that moves us forward. And you know, um, you know what I'm seeing at Stanford? Hubris, ate, Nemesis, Greek, <laughs> Greek tragedy. I know. Arrogance, blindness, downfall. Yeah, that's what we're seeing. Yeah, um, I, I, you know, I, I will, I will. So I'll, I'll go back a little bit to you know to our study because our study was certainly yeah, pull in some me ways off it was, the, bri- the no, brain. It was, here. <laughs> you know, it was it was sort of a canary in some yeah. ways of of what was to come. You know, and and um, at various points we were very heavily involved in the process inside the university where they were. You know, trying to uh, different kinds of oversight about our study, and at some point they told us to pull the study from you know from from the um, they asked us to pull it, and um, they actually asked you to pull the they study. Did. They did. They said you know take it off of uh, the preprint server, stop talking to the media. They they, they you know we have we have those, um, and they came all the way from the top of of mm. the school. Yeah. Um, and um, and. It, it, you know, at some point, uh, you know, there was a discussion about maybe uh, that we should, you know, have more statisticians look at our findings. Mm. Okay, and so we wrote this. We wrote statisticians. We're the statisticians who have been uh, most vocal in in, uh, criticizing. in, in criticizing our mm. work. And we said, let's yeah, well, let's, let's get together, go, work, go through all our data, go through our methods. You know, let's let's go. You know, and, and you can tell us you know, what what can be done different. What would you do? That's going to be sort of a different approach to this. And their answer was, we're not interested in coming to the table. And I would say, here's I will I will make this call again to the statisticians, to other people in the medical school. Let's have an open discussion about these issues. A lot of them are issues that we can come together on. You know, a lot of them. I would actually, I bet there is there is a surprising amount that we can agree on, and um, and we can identify the areas that you know if there's if there's disagreement, it's legitimate disagreement. We are all reasonable 
sensible scientists, and uh, and we can we can under we can identify those areas of disagreement and rec- recognize what are the priorities. That's how we make progress. Oh, and you know what? And we were talking about this before. The lockdowns have made all this worse because we can't see each other face to face. I couldn't shake your hand. We had to do this dumb elbow bump, <laughs> right? And, you know, this is like only like the fourth or fifth in-person interview I've done. And I, I feel like I'm awake again. Yeah. I hate Zoom. I, you know, I, it's it's been one of these things that from early on in, in, the, in the lockdowns, I've been, where are the people saying like, I miss my friends. I miss my aunt. I miss my buddies. I miss my, right? Like, this, like we, we are... We, we, we want to be with one another. We are the social animals, right? Uh, you know, the, the, this is, we, we, you know, we, we, that, that it fills us with meaning. It gives us, right? I mean, I think part of, to your point, part of the reason why we can't talk to one another is because Zoom actually prevents empathy. Oh, we a thousand percent. We, we don't see each other really. We don't have the same sense of, oh, here's a good human being that I'm with, um, and um, and you know we're we're so we, so we're left with these almost like caricatures of one another, hollow caricatures. And you know, Height said it at the end of the happiness hypothesis. He said, uh, "It's not about the meaning of life. It's not about the meaning." You know, uh, uh, it's not about the meaning of life, it's about the meaning within life, which means between. So our interactions with our fellow humans give us meaning and purpose. Entirely. And it's been pulled away with good intent. Yes. These these are good people making these decisions, trying to do the best they can under fear and incomplete information. But now we need to look clear-eyed at it and go, it, are the harms worse than the disease? And increasingly, and look, I went through a phase where I was very scared by those imperial college numbers and seeing that lockdowns actually seemed to really bend the curve. I said, now, wait a minute, um, this could work. And and now I'm more compelled even by masks and inoculum data. But that all being said, it, now looking at it as that as an emergent, looking at those patterns, telling you what you're telling me, what other very smart people are saying, I'm starting to say, you know, I think my early instinct on this, which is that we have a hubris as a species that we're gonna do something about this when it's already out of the bag. I agree. I mean, we, you know, we, we, we tend to think, we tend to attribute everything to the policies and whatnot. You know, there is this, uh, uh, I think it was, you know, Daniel Kahneman in his book, he was, yeah. he was like, what you see is all there is. And so you think that, you know, you see the policies, you see the cases, you're, you, you can't help but try to attribute one to the other. Well, you know, if you start panning out, you realize that, you know, there are a lot of things that are unexplained. There are a lot of things that sort of go beyond uh, the simple, you know, Denmark did this and New Zealand did this and look, they've won and, you know, Taiwan and and South Korea, well, they, you know, did the same, but they had a different outcome in Sweden. They, you know, they actually didn't lock down, but they had now are having a good outcome, right? There's a lot more than than what meets the eye than from, you know, from the white you see is all there is. And I love that you cited Kahneman because his whole point is, we as humans have very flawed, divided brains, system one, system two, and we make these snap heuristical judgments that are often 
they served us in the wild in the day, but now things are complicated. And right. our second system that's slower and more deliberate right. often gets sabotaged because it requires a lot of ATP and time and totally. wokeness to actually act. Totally. And I'll, I'll quote my wife again, who says, you know, like we, we all have the capacity to put our adult brains, our frontal lobe, engage them um, and and have a more deliberative process where we, again, like we we, we see each other for the goodness that, that we all bring, the good intentions. Uh, and and um, and have that as a as a you know bring bring a slower more deliberative um, uh, uh, and and a process that really uh, you know sort of respects everybody. I love that you quote your wife. I'll quote my wife uh, where she says, um, "I still don't understand what you do all day." <laughs> 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 different wives. That's right. Different I'll, wives. I'll, I'll, if, you, if you want, I'll, when I meet her at the chest radiology, I'll let her oh, know. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Margaret will be there, I'm sure. But uh, so so to that point, I think it was, we were talking before the show about Jonathan Haidt and, and, uh, and his moral matrix theory, moral foundations theory. And the idea that everyone's trying to be good. They have different moral taste buds. And the right may weigh certain things differently than the left. And I've done videos about this relating to COVID. But we, what we should agree on is that we're all trying to be good. And like you said, it's gonna be very hard. That little battle you're having on social media, on Twitter, where you're yelling at you know, Bob Harrington for whatever it is, you know, whoever it is you're yelling at, like me and Jen Gunter have gotten, uh -huh. it doesn't matter. If we were in the same room like we are right now, having this thing, there is no way we would vilify each other. We would hear each other out, disagree, argue, but it would be out of love. Yes. And that's what's missing in this piece of crap. I, I fully agree. Fully agree. <laughs> and that's why now I don't like doing Zoom interviews anymore. It's gotta be, I tell people, you wanna be on my show, right? Uh, well, then are you willing to come to San Carlos, California, physically be in a studio six feet apart from me? Do We'll do all the hygiene theater you want. But the truth is, that's how you have a conversation. Yeah. And uh, if they say, hell no, then I go, well, let's wait till we can. because. <laughs> at this point, except for Paul Offit, because Offit is so far away. But you need him. Uh, yeah, and yes, you gotta have him on, because he is just the best. He's a rationalist. And you know, he, everybody falls into their politics sometimes, right? But at this, it's just, he trans, he's such a reasonable guy. Um, but um, so let's see now, what didn't we talk about? Iran, because we had a little tour de force and you got me real fired up. I, I know. I derailed the conversation I, multiple I'm, times. Me too, I'm sorry. But no, but that's going. how it is. That's yes. called human conversation. <laughs> that's right. We could be like, okay, question. Um, tell me about <laughs> vaccines. So, so uh, do you have any other thoughts? We talked about the discourse. We talked about, do you have any other thoughts on the sort of variance in what you're seeing in infection fatality rates in the seroprevalence studies that you cite? Because you, because Jay said on the show, he said, now multiple studies have borne out that maybe the IFR is somewhere in the 0.2 to 0.3% range. Is that being too narrow? Are we cherry picking data? Like, Well, so no, so, so, so I don't, um, uh, I'm not sure exactly where Jay, I mean, so I, I know broadly where Jay got his right. information from, but I don't know exactly what he had in mind, but you know, but, the the the, um, the most comprehensive analysis of seroprevalence studies, which is really the best way to uh, get us to the fatality rate. Now it's again not perfect, but it's as close as it's much closer than case counts. Right. Um, so the the seroprevalence studies, the most comprehensive analysis of seroprevalence studies, was put together by by John Ioannidis. He put together eighty six uh, of these uh, studies, um, and um, and the the 
um, you know, there, there is a range. The, the median infection fatality rate across all of these studies is, is indeed 0.23. Mm, that's um, the median. That's the median. Um, so that's 0.23 of a percent, of a percent. overall so fatality so two, across yes, all ages. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Two, two out of t- two out of a thousand, twenty three right. out of ten thousand. Got it. Um, and um, it, you know, and you know what? What? But there is a range, and it ranges from you know very close to zero percent. In fact, the places where that are close to zero percent are uh, some of the the Central Asian countries, ah. uh, African countries. Um, you know, are the ones that have the lowest fatality rate. Why? It's very complicated. Yeah. I'll tell you. I mean, I'll tell you. That especially the, the the story with Africa, you know, which is sort of. I certainly have a soft spot for that because a lot of my work has been on on sub-Saharan Africa. Is um, it's mind blowing. You know, a lot of the projections for places like Uganda and Malawi, we, you know, were somewhere in the order of oh, fifty thousand, sixty thousand mm. deaths, uh, something like that. Mm. Um, you know, we're talking about. 40 deaths to date, maybe 100 deaths in Malawi. Um, I, I mean, this is, you know, this is, you know, th- there has been, there is, you know, no hospital is re- is reporting that there's any sort of meaningful uh, number of, of COVID patients. Um, you know, on the other hand, a uh, number of, of, of kids that go unvaccinated is going up. Um, uh, maternal mortality is going up. Um, you know, the, you know, the, the World Health Organization has actually, uh, Put out a recommendation to suspend mass vaccination campaigns. Uh, I heard that for Gavi. Uh, not no. just through Gavi, just in general for yeah. everybody um, to suspend mass vaccination campaigns in order to um, you know respect social distancing and to uh, it's uh, well, madness. It's uh, madness. You know, and, you, know, you yeah. think about the generation that's not going to get measles and not going to get DPT. All these gains that are so hard fought, people have died we're, we're, to we're, get vaccinations to the communities. Now the, the expected vaccination rate that we're expecting for 2020 is the same as we had in 2000. So, uh, so, 20 so 20 years, years lost. 20 years of, of gain. And with, with, with enormous gains in child mortality and reduction of, of childhood diseases. With a benefit to us of net nothing, maybe, uh, for, for, for COVID. For, yeah, for exactly, for, for Africa. And, and, and so in Africa, these, these death rates are quite low. And could that be a similar scenario to what happens in the Mumbai slums where people are, there's something different in the there's genetics some, you know, so environment. Exactly, so there's, yeah. it's a combination of yeah. age structure, you know, younger people, Less obesity, less right. sort of the kind of chronic diseases that we see most closely insulin associated resistance, with yeah. insulin resistance. Uh, um, you know, some maybe some kind of, of genetic differences, environmental differences. Mm. Um, you know, people will, people will always say, "Well, you know, it's just that they're not being reported." You know, that's a hard case to make as a numbers meaningful. Numbers are so low. The numbers yeah. are so low. No hospitals reporting. You'd you'd expect to see them. You know, in the big cities, people yeah. go to the hospitals in, yeah. in African countries. You don't see that. What's happening in like Indonesia and places like that? I heard there. Was I haven't looked at the data specifically. I don't. I don't yeah, let's skip know. it because I don't. I don't know. Yeah. But it's something. I mean, worth... you know, I mean, Vietnam has been a, a, a crazy story. Right? What What happened with Vietnam? Uh, oh, I mean, you know, Vietnam had. Yeah, you know, I mean, for you know, for a long time they had. I mean, you know, they, they actually also didn't impose lockdowns. And they, it just never really seemed like the 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 epidemic spread in in the country. Do you think that they've just seen these coronaviruses? Uh... Before. It's, it's possible. So that's yeah. another hypothesis that sort of is, is certainly, right. I mean, you know, the story with T cells is still evolving. Right. Uh, we seem to have both T cells that react specifically after, um, after exposure. Uh, exposure. And we see that with the vaccination trials, they elicit T cell response. Um, and we also see that, uh, and we also see people that have not had COVID exposure have T cell response that seems to be um, uh, uh, effective for, uh, for COVID protection and protective immunity. 
it, now, to, to what extent that matters, uh, you know, I mean, it, you know, it, it seems to be related to uh, exposure to non-COVID coronaviruses, to mm. other human coronaviruses, one of the other probably more common four circulating common cold coronavirus strains. Um, and, you know, the, the story remains to be, you know, like, well, we're, we're still learning a lot, but mm. it certainly seems to be at least part of, uh, of the story of why some people just are less don't don't get it as much, mm. um, or don't get it as bad, mm. um, right? I mean, the, the whole story that um, Monica was talking about the inoculum. I think the T cell has a similar thing where it's not it's not entirely going to protect you, um, but it's going to reduce the severity of, uh, of right. the disease just enough that you just don't end up hospitalized or even that ill. That's right. Yeah. But just to, then to close the loop back on the fatality rate, so some places have a very low fatality rate, and then some places have upwards of of one percent uh, infection right. fatality rate, and it's the places where you know that that have really bad outbreaks that have the high fatality rate. Right. Italy um, or Northern Italy, New York, Spain, those are the places that, that seem to have had a really high uh, uh, fatality rate. And I mean, basically the fatality rate is not a singular number. Mm. Um, it, it depends on, on the local context. It depends on the severity of the disease. It depends on the age distribution, on the comorbidities, on the health system, all of it. Not, not, there's not a singular um, uh, one sort of explanation that accounts for all of it, but in places that have had a confluence of these, um, you know, risk factors that, you know, that really uh, has had a, a relatively, you know, a, they have high fatality rate and they've had bad outbreaks. You know, places, I mean, you, we saw those pictures, right, early on in New York and in, in, in Bergamo. Uh, you know, I mean, it was, it was you know, it's, it was scary. And it was one of these things that, you know, really needs to be taken into account when we, Think about you know where where are the where are the places that are susceptible and how do we prevent this in the future? Mm. Uh, and, and so to translate all that, it's complicated. It's complicated. We should study it. Yes, we need to look at both our response damage and yes. the damage of the virus. Yes, we need to have open scientific discourse. Yes, we need to come at each other with love and compassion instead of fear and uh, distrust. Yes, I strongly disagree with what Stanford did and you don't have to comment on it, but I, I, I strongly disagree with that, that letter. I, I agree with you that, you know, universities should be the places that uphold open debate that's and right, open speech. Right. And this has been an act against that. It, 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 and it, and, it, and it, it furthers a momentum I see in academe of shutting down opposing discourse. And do, do you remember Peter Duesberg at Berkeley? Oh, I remember You're him. an infectious so disease. In the HIV world. That's right. So he was an HIV denier to the extent that he's a researcher at UC Berkeley where I trained. I actually saw a lecture with him in the early 90s and, and he was charismatic and compelling. And what he was saying was uh, HIV does not meet Koch's postulates which are these postulates to say, okay, in order to show causation from a germ to a mm -hmm. disease, you have to have these things. Uh, and HIV is not the cause of AIDS. Rather, it's behavior of gay men. It's this, this a very controversial, socially inflammatory stuff. But Berkeley said, you're a tenured professor. We can disagree with you. You're gonna take a lot of heat but go ahead and do your science. And I would say even more though, you know, so his, you know, his, his uh, ideas were out there. And there's so much compelling evidence against that. Right. That, you know, by now, does anybody think that these theories are right? No, no. no. So and, eventually and the science clears it, it up. It does clear it up. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that, that's the beauty of it. But if you had shut him up, if you had said, shut up, Peter, you can't say that. You need to stop, we're gonna close your lab, unpublish your preprint, do this, 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 this. You know what? We, the people of UC Berkeley, hereby <laughs> censure Peter Duesberg. 
what would have happened is it would have it would have driven that stuff underground. It would have driven conspiracy thinking, totally. which we already have. It yeah. would have radicalized people that weren't radicalized, and and we're seeing that now. Yeah, people with good intention trying to be good put out this letter. You're not. You're actually causing more harm. Just you, you see that now. I mean, there you know there's that report that's now making the rounds of of the potential human engineering of the of the coronavirus. Right. You know, and it's like. You know, it's fine. It's it's a report. Um, he's 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 you know it's it's very detailed. I don't know if it's true or not. I can't even evaluate that. But right. I think the fact that she's now being canceled, that Twitter is canceling her. You know, it, it just fosters the the you know like everybody's trying to sort of find it and get don't. her. Get, go reproduce it. Go, exactly. Go reproduce it. Go find other evidence. That other, right. you know, there's a lot of other evidence that suggests that That's you know, right. that, that you know it's potentially been natural. Now, you evolution. know, you can always find a scientist to back some kooky claim that you have. You can always massage data, but there's always really smart people yeah. that can go and review it and be like, actually, not so much. <laughs> um, and then do other tests, do other trials. And, you know, and, you know. In the end. You know, we're in a time where, again, we've been so, what was it, schismogenesis? What did yeah, you That's right, complementary yeah. schismogenesis. Complementary schismogenesis uh, has driven us to be irrational about great many things. You and I are Kahneman worshipers. We, we under, well, you know, you, you can't worship anyone because that puts them on a pedestal where they can't be wrong. Right. You have to say, you know, we admire that work. We're, yes. we're you know, Kahneman knights. <laughs> so we need to work on thinking about our thinking. Yes, and how we are in the world, and uh, I don't know, man. I, do you, do you do you have any sort of? This is a personal question. You don't have to answer, but do you have any spiritual practice or anything that you do that opens your sort of more compassionate center to being in the world? Yeah. What do I, what do I say? I mean, yeah, I'm 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 a I'm a, I'm a pretty profound humanist. Yeah. Um, and believe in, and that people have good intentions and believe that people are, you know, they're, they're acting with good reasons and they want to be good. Yep. Um, you know, let's me, let's me, let's me try to understand everybody. You're, you're a pinkerist. <laughs> yeah, yes. I am, I am a pinkerist. Yeah, I'm a way. pinkerist too. Yes. And I add on a layer of meditative practice, a sort of secular Buddhism that allows me to understand the nature of my own mind that right. then allows me to see when I'm being reactive and less wise yes. in the world, less yeah. compassionate, <laughs> less productive. So I think right. we could all use some practice. Yes, you absolutely. Know? Humanist practice, meditative practice, even if you go to church and you wanna uh, uh, have a prayer practice that's based on compassion, I mean, that's wonderful. We need totally. a little more of that. We, right? we could, we, and, and, and you know, there's something where it feels like everybody could use a little bit of calming down, just a little that bit. Too. Maybe like so nice. little aerosolized Valium. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not much of a reductionist, but I That's do right. like that idea. That's Everybody right. just, and then we'd bit. all have the withdrawal and uh, the benzo right. dependence. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> so no good deed goes unpunished. I know, Our, things are complicated. The cure is worse than the disease, man. Um, Iran Ben David, this has been a joy. Oh, thank you very much. This is really fun. Um, I'm glad we got to dig into those things and get riled up. And uh, we'll put this out. I'll tell these guys right now, like we're gonna put this out on the podcast. There'll be a transcript. It's on YouTube and zdogmd.com where ultimately the transcript will live. The transcript often has a bunch of errors in it because the people who transcribe right now, it's tough to follow us because we're crazy. <laughs> and um, but give us a break, do me a favor, share the show, be kind to each other, share ideas. In academics, we should challenge each other without censoring each other. We should 
come together as a tribe that cares about advancing Entirely. knowledge. That's and right. that's the kind of people I wanna have on my show. I'm sure there's, I pissed off everyone at Stanford. That's fine with me, because you know what? It means if they come in here and they wanna talk to me, that means we can find the love right here. All right, guys, I love you, and we are out. Peace. Hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. <laughs> and so at this point, I just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. It, it just really helps the algorithm to get this message out to others. The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I wanna hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is, financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community, really. And we support and love each other and share, again, through our own experience, how we're waking up. So, and that that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.